And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Dr. E. Calvin Beisner. And uh, Cal, it's great to have you on the show with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's very good to be back with you, and uh, I hope that you are staying reasonably warm up there in New York. Down here in South Florida, I confess it's pretty nice. You know, it's funny you mention that. It's one of those winters where it's been terribly cold, and we got a tremendous amount of snow. My son was telling me, you know, he, he does some plowing on the side, and some of his friends have been complaining, or were complaining, that there's just no place left to pile the snow. There, <laughs> there's so much snow. And so it's it's been a, it's been a rough winter. Now, Cal, you're the uh, founder, national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. I love that name. I'm just wondering if you can, uh, before we get started on our discussion today, can you give our listeners a, a quick, you know, 30-second rundown or so? Uh, what is the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation? Well, we are a network of uh, evangelical Christian theologians and scientists and economists and some scholars in other fields as well, but primarily those, uh, who are working together to promote simultaneously Biblical earth stewardship, or what we also call godly dominion, which, by which we mean uh, men and women working together uh, to enhance the beauty and the safety and the fruitfulness of the earth uh, to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. So that's our first goal, is to promote biblical earth stewardship. The second is to promote economic development for the very poor. Think primarily in terms of people in, say, sub-Saharan Africa or Haiti, and then certain other parts of uh, Asia and Latin America. And the third uh, goal for us is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and to defend that gospel in a world that's permeated by an environmental movement, much of whose worldview is, is uh, anti-Christian whose uh, science and economics are often very poorly done, whose policy uh, priorities, therefore, often don't actually do much to protect or restore the natural environment, but cause a great deal of harm, especially to the very poor around the world, um, and which has been, uh, has been uh, found increasingly attractive in some churches such that the very definition of the gospel winds up uh, being changed uh, in some instances. So we're trying to do scientific and economic and theological work all at once, um, and uh, it's, it's fun work. It's, it's great to work with about 60 different scholars spread around the country. And I guess the last point, a lot of people wonder where the Cornwall part of it comes from. Uh, back in 1999, a group of about 35 uh, environmental uh, theologians and ethicists and scientists and economists gathered together at a retreat center in West Cornwall, Connecticut. And there we drafted a declaration, and when we thought what to call it, we said, well, let's call it the Cornwall Declaration. <laughs> so, so that is the, uh, the sort of the, the founding document of the Cornwall Alliance, and that's what we do. Well, that's exciting, and uh, I haven't known you for that long, and I really don't know you too well, but I was reading a little bit um, a few days ago on your website and would greatly encourage people to check it out. There's such good resources there on that website, um, Cornwall Alliance. 
that um, and it's thoughtfully done. It's not name calling or any of this other stuff that we see so often in the in the modern talk shows or the interviews yep. on TV. This is really sound scholarship, and it's just wonderfully done. And at the end of the broadcast, we'll we'll include uh, a link uh, to to your website there verbally. I, I might just mention quickly too that we have a Facebook page, Cornwall Alliance for the stewardship of creation on Facebook. and uh, We get some pretty lively discussion there. A lot <laughs> of folks have been coming to that, and we post, we try to post really uh, helpful information quite frequently there. So it would be wonderful if some of your listeners wanted to come and, and uh, take a look at our page. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of folks are on Facebook. I'm sure that some of them will check that out. I like the, uh, the emphasis here, the, this basic stewardship of creation, with a, with a dominion aspect, I mean, that is truly the dominion mandate. That's what you're obviously tying in from Genesis that, that Genesis God... Genesis 128. Yeah, God has given us that. I also like the fact that um, you care for the poor. Uh, not only are you... You want to see us enhance the beauty, the safety of the earth, and utilize its resources for God's glory, but you do so in a context of glorifying God and caring for the poor, not not trampling them, but lifting them up. Um, that is cool, if I can use that phrase. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, the, the scriptures say so much about the importance of caring for the poor, of protecting them against oppression, and so on. Uh, we just see that as a fundamental aspect of the Christian life, and particularly of our calling. And uh, there are a couple of things that tie into that, too. One is that uh, contrary to the thinking of an awful lot of environmentalists, it's not wealth that is the big threat to the environment. It is poverty. Uh, when you are extremely poor, when you are worried about putting food on the table, <laughs> if you have a table, yes. clothes on the back, and a roof over the head, you frankly don't care much about smog. You don't care about chemical runoff into rivers. You don't care about agricultural uh, fertilizer runoff causing algae blooms or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, those, uh, you know, they may be slightly irritant to you, but they can't be high priorities. Food, clothing, shelter, uh, clean drinking water, um, sewage sanitation, those are much higher priorities. Once you become wealthy enough that those things can be pretty much taken for granted, which is the case for the vast majority of people in the developed world, uh, then you can begin to prioritize mm -hmm. matters of environmental protection, uh, which is why what we see is that the greatest environmental uh, problems, the, the growing and ongoing environmental problems, tend to be in poor countries rather than in wealthy countries. I've discussed that at length in a, uh, a monograph that we have just published at the Cornwall Alliance called uh, What is the Most Important Environmental Task? Facing American Christians today, mm. and uh, we'll be we'll be offering that next month through our newsletter, uh, which people can sign up for at CornwallAlliance.org. Oh, that's excellent. We need to take a short break today. Talking with me is Dr. E. Calvin Beisner of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Uh, Cal, on the other side of the break, I'd like to um, pick your brain a little bit about. You started off mentioning the cold weather we've been having, and um, there's been measurements regarding the temperature of the earth and the you know the common phrases global warming. 
uh, what have the objective measurements shown, and um, maybe you can get into what's the root cause, if you even know it, and I, pardon me for putting it that way, and, and, and just talk that through a little bit on the other side of the break. Be glad to do that. Okay, stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Redeemer Broadcasting. This is A Plain Answer. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. On the phone line with me today is Dr. E. Calvin Beisner. We've been talking about stewardship of the earth, and um, that is... Um, part of the name of your organization, the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, uh, Cal. And um, on this side of the break, um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what objectively has been observed in terms of uh, climate uh, temperatures. Uh, maybe we can just start there. Well, yeah. Um, if the first thing for us to keep in mind is simply that climate changes. It's been doing that throughout Earth's history, and uh, it's always warming or cooling, uh, sometimes with brief periods of near stasis intervening, but really uh, climate never stays the same. What we have seen since about 1850 is an increase in what people call global average temperature. It's, It's really a rough term, not quite proper scientifically, but we can work with it an increase of global average temperature of about eight-tenths of a degree Celsius, which is approximately equal to uh, about 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, that seems to be mostly natural in cause. Uh, Much of it occurred, uh, in fact, before 1940. Um, Now, there is theoretical reason to believe that increasing carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere, which we have in fact been doing since the Industrial Revolution, we've gone from about 280 parts per million to now about 402 or 403 parts per million. Uh, increasing CO2 concentration in the atmosphere uh, theoretically should warm the atmosphere somewhat because CO2 absorbs heat bouncing from the surface of the Earth back out towards space, and it then radiates that heat uh, spherically from each molecule. Some of it just 
radiates right on out to space, but some of it comes back toward the surface of the Earth. So you get some warming. Uh, that's the theory. It's basic physics. Uh, but basic physics also tells you that if you drop a rock and a feather at the same time, they should hit the ground at the same time, unless you're not in a vacuum. Uh, and if you're not in a vacuum, then the feather falls more slowly. And if there's wind, well, the rock may fall quickly, but the feather may blow up into a tree and not come down at all. <laughs> so <laughs> depending on basic physics about this topic is, is a very uh, un, uh, what, it's a very naive way to approach it. The physics is much more complicated because there are, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of factors that respond to that slight added heat from carbon dioxide. And the great debate, the real question is, do those factors as a whole, taken all together, uh, do they increase the amount of warming from, uh, from added CO2 or do they decrease the amount of warming from added CO2? Those who have been claiming uh, that are adding CO2 will cause disastrous warming with rapidly rising sea levels because we have rapidly melting glaciers from land. Uh, those who claim that assume that the overall climate feedbacks, such as what happens with clouds and with vegetation and with wind and so on, that the overall climate feedbacks are net positive and very strongly net positive. In fact, you have to go to uh, about at least doubling and a half the actual warming of the CO2 by itself to get anything dangerous. Now, what we have seen over the last roughly 17 years is no warming at all. Uh, there has been no statistically significant increase in global average temperatures since 1997. And in fact, there's even been a very, very slight, not statistically significant, slight cooling since about 2002. Uh, and that observation has prompted climatologists all over the world to have to completely reassess the thinking about uh, what are called sensitivity and feedback. How sensitive is, is global average temperature to increased CO2, and what are the various feedbacks in the climate system? Are they positive or negative, and how strong are they? And the increasing direction of thought is that the overall feedbacks are net negative rather than net positive. So instead of raising global average temperature by, say, about uh, 1.2 degrees Celsius from doubling CO2, which we haven't come to yet, uh, you would instead raise it by something less than 1.2 degrees Celsius. And at that rate, uh, that is not dangerous. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um for those who haven't taken chemistry, uh, CO2 is um, part of what we exhale, I believe. Yes. Um, it's not the same as carbon monoxide, which is a poisonous gas. That's why you have these little carbon monoxide detectors in the home. But mm -hmm. CO2 is its not a bad gas, is it? Oh, no, it's not a bad gas at all. In fact, it's absolutely essential to life. Uh, plants take in CO2 as part of their uh, photosynthesis. And they breathe out, so to speak. They, they uh, evapotranspire uh, uh, oxygen. We breathe in oxygen, and we breathe out carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. uh, we breathe out carbon dioxide at a concentration that is hundreds of times higher than the, uh, the uh, background concentration in the atmosphere as a whole. Carbon dioxide is not poisonous. It is instead 
absolutely essential to all plant growth. And in fact, uh, raising CO2 levels in the atmosphere increases plant growth efficiency so much that a recent uh, survey of literally thousands of both field and laboratory studies of the impact of increased CO2 on plants, uh, particularly on agricultural plants and thus on the crops meant for human food, uh, concluded that from 1961 to 2011, uh, the added agricultural crop value simply because of added CO2 in the atmosphere uh, was uh, something over $3.4 trillion in value. Mm. And if we continue to extrapolate the uh, fertilizer effect of added CO2 up to 2050, we can expect the addition of over $9 trillion more dollars worth of food to mm. the world. Now, at the Cornwall Alliance, as you mentioned, we are very concerned, especially about the poor in this world. And food is a pretty basic thing for them. Yeah. Well, when you increase agricultural yield so much that you add nine point some trillion dollars worth of food over a 40-year period, you are making food less expensive, more available for the poor around the world. And we think that's a very good thing. Mm. And it certainly off, uh, offsets any estimates of, of any harms that might come from the very slight warming it now appears is going to come from added CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like this uh, emphasis on the CO2 is almost like a misplaced focus in terms of cause and effect. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, again, it goes back to a, a pretty simple basic idea of, uh, in, in physics Carbon dioxide is a gas that absorbs infrared radiation as it bounces back from the surface of the Earth, and so you would expect it to warm. Um, uh, the problem is that uh, the early modeling was done with far too little understanding of the many different climate feedbacks that respond to that warming. For instance, mm. uh, as, as the surface of the Earth warms a little bit, you get more evaporation. Well, that causes more clouds. Some kinds of clouds... Uh, stratospheric cirrus clouds warm the surface of the Earth. Uh, other clouds, lower clouds, uh, uh, cool the surface of the Earth by bouncing sunlight back into space before it has an opportunity to get to the surface. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, we didn't know which one of those seems to predominate. Well, more recently, studies uh, based on, uh, you know, done from satellites up by NASA and other, other uh, organizations show us pretty clearly that it's the low clouds that increase much more than the high clouds, so that clouds have a net negative impact on warming from CO2. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm um, shifting now in my thinking just a little bit, because we only have about five or six minutes left. I seem to recall recently um, there was, in, in the news, uh, in terms of leadership and on the governmental level of this world. Our Secretary of State took a trip to Jakarta, Indonesia, mm -hmm. and um, someplace in his speech he was mentioning that the islands are at risk from rising sea levels. What, what was he talking about there? Well, again, in theory is pretty simple. With rising uh, global average temperature, you might have some acceleration of the rate of, of melt, of ice on land, that's glaciers of various sorts, 
and uh, when that ice melts, eventually the water runs to the sea and adds to the total amount of water in the sea, and therefore sea level will rise. Further, as the sea itself warms, uh, the expansion of the water because of the warmth uh, in, uh, causes some sea level rise. That's the basic theory, and it's pretty simple. But of course, what's really crucial is how do you measure all of that? What is the actual uh, change that can be anticipated? And what we see from actual records is that the rate of sea level rise, which has been going on since the end of the Ice Age, uh, has not changed significantly uh, upward during the period of supposedly man-made global uh, warming. In fact, uh, some of the studies, and sea level rise is a very difficult thing to measure uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but some of the studies actually indicate that the rate of sea level rise has decreased. And again, it's because uh, you know there are far more factors than just the simple basic theory. Uh, with added clouds, you also get more uh, precipitation. With more precipitation, you get the formation of more snow and ice. So it's actually not clear that we're going to see more sea level increase. You could actually see some sea level uh, uh, plateauing or possibly even decrease uh, because of the warming. Uh, much of this just remains very, very uh, difficult to settle in the scientific community. And uh, as one who reads constantly, you know, three, four, five articles a day in this field, uh, I can tell you the, uh, the scientists working in this field are are uh, really uh, those who those who are really doing the science and not just uh, associated with advocacy groups are finding more and more reasons to be far more careful about their statements. Mm, that, that's good. As we um, pull this to a close here, I want us to uh, talk a little bit about faith commitments. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm personally very cautious what I say, particularly over the air, um, about this issue because of global warming, because I realize um, behind behind the mask, if you will, there are some very strong faith commitments. Can you, I think I'm right in this, but can you help us think that through a little bit? Somewhat. Uh, there is a, a very religious tinge to much of the environmental movement, and it shows itself in a variety of ways. One of those ways, I think, is a sort of a personalizing the earth, turning it into Mother Earth, uh, Gaia. And indeed, there are pantheists and panentheists and animists. Pantheism, God is the universe. Panentheism, God is the universe as the soul is to the body. Or animists, there are lots of little gods who inhabit the earth and, and its various parts. There are people of those views who see man's impact on the earth as an offense to Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there are also many total secularists, atheists or agnostics, uh, for whom there is no role for God, uh, for the personal triune God of Christianity, in the earth. And both of those positions have implications for your scientific understanding. Uh, if you're an atheist, you have no reason to think that the Earth is the, the consequence of, of an omniscient designer, an omnipotent creator, and a faithful sustainer. And therefore, you tend to think of the Earth as extremely fragile and susceptible to catastrophic results from very tiny influences, such as taking carbon dioxide from 
28 thousandths of 1% of the atmosphere to 54 thousandths of 1% of the atmosphere. Um, similarly, if you're a pantheist or a panentheist, an animist, you tend to think that uh, tiny, tiny influences in the earth can cause great catastrophe. But if you're a Christian and you think that an omniscient God designed, an omnipotent God created, and a faithful God sustains the earth, then you have a predilection to think, well, it's likely to be not so fragile, but rather robust, resilient, and self-correcting. And the latter is actually what we find when we observe nature in action. We find that the natural world has a, a tendency to, to recover from harms uh, far better than many environmentalists think. So I think one of the keys to our resolving some of these issues is, is to address people's thought about God. Um, and uh, the most important thing that can happen there is for people to come to know the living and true God uh, through Jesus Christ, uh, through his, his work on the cross uh, in reconciling us to God, and uh, through his being the one who reveals God to us, as the Gospel of John puts it. Uh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son of God, he has revealed him. It's beautiful. Well, we are out of time already. Cal, thank you so much for taking your time today and joining me and our listeners in a discussion of this. Um, suppose uh, someone would like to uh, investigate uh, further the information on your website. Could you remind us once again what that website is? Sure. Uh, people can come to cornwallalliance.org. That's cornwallalliance.org. They can also visit us, Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, on Facebook. Mm, beautiful. Well, we'll include a, a link to that also in our write-up on our website. This will be up on our website uh, as a podcast after uh, today, uh, later today, in fact. And so Great. check that out. It'll be redeemerbroadcasting.org uh, under resources. Can Cal you send me a link? I, absolutely. We'll Great. do that. And uh, we can send it to anyone via email. If, if you can't find it on the website, just contact us. Our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And that reminds me, if you're a listener and you really have a question for Cal that maybe we didn't get to uh, addressing, and you can use the radio station's email address, and I'll forward it to Cal. Again, that address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Cal, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Dan, and God bless. Same to you. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. A quick reminder, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.